listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. It's amazing because words are so powerful, right? Words, they can do so much damage in people's lives. They can, I mean, and they just slide out so easy, particularly like electronic words like these. Can't take them back. Yeah, let's just do a little uh, survey. And I want to do this at all of our campuses, all right? So Middleville, Delton, you guys, if you would uh, lift your hand. But I'm I'm just curious. So how many of you have ever in an email replied to all unintentionally And only found out later because you said things in the reply that you never would have said to everyone, but then then someone told you, you know, you replied to all. How many of you have ever done that? That is like the worst thing ever. Your face burns with shame. It's terrible. How many of you have ever posted something on social media without really reviewing it or reposted something, and then you realized, like, I can take this down, but it's too late because a thousand people have already seen it. Anybody ever had that happen? You wish to God you'd never done it. That's that's what words can do because you pull the trigger and it's like it's done even <laughs> though you didn't want to do it. That's right. And we do that with words. We do that with uh, 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 electronic words, of course, with regular words. And, of course, there's autocorrect. And I have so many hilarious stories I could tell you from autocorrect, but none of them in church, can I tell you? <laughs> you, you were... I had one of those this week. I had a staff member reach out to me and asked me how I was doing after my second shot. And it was not the word shot. <laughs> I, I just said I was doing fine on both counts. Thank you. <laughs> okay. That was not me, by the way. I didn't care what happened. Everybody's done this stuff. We hit the send button and we wish we hadn't. And as I said, nowhere do we do it more than with our mouth. We just blurt things out. We do this. And so often, and you know this. Those really unwise words, they go out and they just, I mean, they can do so much damage and they hurt people. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to ask the question how many of you have ever hurt someone uh, with your words because I know the answer is all of us have done it. But it's interesting because they go out and you think, okay, well, that happened. I feel bad about it. But what we know is, we know this through both research and we know this through our own personal experience, is that it doesn't just hurt the person that we spoke to. But have you noticed how these things go on? And they go on, actually they can go on and on and on. And so what happens is, is that hurt people then hurt people. Neglected sons become neglectful husbands and abandoned daughters become suspicious wives and all this stuff because of things that have been said, because of stuff that's been done. And we wish to God we could take it back, but we can't. And these words are like all around us. And they're, they're almost like an undertow because you, you say these words and then they pull you to places you never, you didn't want to go there. You didn't want people to go there, but it happens. And it, like it goes long. Yeah. So I've, I've talked about this before if you've been around TVC, but I, uh, my dad was a good man. He was a good man. But I believe that my dad suffered from PTSD as a result of his uh, experiences in the Korean conflict. And so he would, in public, he would, everybody would say to me, he's the funniest guy I've ever met. He was hilarious. <laughs> he's just, he must be great to be around. But when he came home, all this anger that was inside of him spilled out. 
And this is what I know about my dad. I, I do not believe that there was ever a time he said, I want to hurt my sons. I'm so angry, I just want to go hurt them. I do not believe he ever said that. Just as I would never say that about my children that I wanted to hurt them. But I'll tell you how profound it was. I actually remember this, you know, I'm just shy of 65 now, and I remember vividly when my dad would come home, he arrived almost the same time every night, when that back door would open, my stomach would begin to roil with angst because I would wonder, what am I going to be in trouble for? What is he going to yell at me about? Will he hit me? Will he hurt me? What will he say? How will he deal with me? And it was like week after week. And he never meant that to happen. And I can tell you how far this thing goes because I said to myself, I have no idea how many times I said, I will never be this way with my kids. I will never do this. Anybody ever said that? I will never behave this way. But what I can tell you is that too often I have been. These words, these things that happen in our lives hurt people. And then hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And on and on this thing goes. And the damage that can be done is just, I mean, not just the immediate person that you hurt, but it goes actually in generations, countless people. Now the good news is, and there is good news, mm -hmm. is that just as negative words can do damage, hurt people, can bring pain, positive words, Dan, can, can bring life and it can go long distance. Talk, talk about that a little bit. I mean, I think, I think in, in large part, that's dependent upon us and what we're going to do with that. You know, I, I have some similar things in my past, things that were spoken to me, things that were spoken about me, things that were spoken over me. And it's funny, you, you don't forget those things. You don't just snap your No, you your think finger. you would. No. You can't no. make them go away. You don't. They, they, they don't go away. But I, I learned uh, one time as I was sort of wrestling through this that our past does not have to define us but it will inform us. Yeah. Our past does not have to define us, but it will inform us. I mean, I, I can't ignore the fact that some things from my past, from my upbringing, inform a little bit about who I am and the decisions that I'm going to make. And Jeff, I remember, I remember the day where I, I made the decision that I was, was I gonna let those things make me become bitter or make me become better? And I just decided in my life, um, when I started to really grasp what God said about me, which was so different from those other voices in so many ways, as I began to get that and allow that to sink in and to process that, I just committed in my life that I was going to turn that around and do everything that I could and by the Holy Spirit's enabling to speak in a life-giving way for other people. Because we don't know the power that our words have. Yeah. I mean, you know, our words either fan the flame in somebody's life or they'll comfort the hurting. I've, I've, I've found that acknowledging people's hurt and pain is sometimes the, it's, it's, it's the beginning. Not pretending that it isn't real to them, you know, I, I, I talked last week about that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's just not true. And people have a story behind the story. I remember a couple coming in to meet with me several years back, and we were going through some changes as a church. 
And this was at uh, the church you yeah, were at in Long yeah. Island. Okay. And they were livid. And it was, it was a little bit out of character for them. It really had kind of caught me off guard. And boy, they came in with all guns blaring. And I'm, I'm thankful because I, I had this, this moment of clarity where I thought to myself, this is about much more than the change that's going on in our, our church. And I just started to ask a lot of questions. But I have to tell you, just total transparency, there was that little part of me that started to get defensive where I wanted to be like, oh yeah? Okay, just for clarity, a little part? I'm a red-blooded Italian from New York. What do you <laughs> yeah. think? I think you were thinking of a hitman's number <laughs> yeah. in the back of your head probably. I had, I had some names. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, I remember stopping and saying, guys, I can see how deeply affected you are by this. And my heart, hearts be, my heart hurts because your heart is hurting. Talk to me about what's going on here. And it was amazing, all of the things that they had been walking through in their life. And this was just a little thing, and it tipped, it tipped the scales. And I asked them, I said, would you allow me the opportunity to walk through this with you? So they came in angry, and they were letting you have it. Yep. But with words that were gentle and kind. Yep. I said, let, just, just let me, if you would, let me walk through this with you. It was like the floodgates open, and they melted. And I, I just began to walk through them with that, through that season of their lives. And, the, and we landed in a place that honored Jesus. And it was amazing how disarming um, that was. And it, ma- it made me think of um, Paul in the New Testament. We, we've talked about him, this guy that started many, many churches, but prior to his encounter with Jesus, he was anything but a Christ follower. He was not the guy you'd want to meet on the streets. Right. And he writes this, this letter to this church at, at Philippi, and, um, and, and this is what he says. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I love this. Rather in humility, value others, say those next two words, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I had to stop for a moment that day in my office and say, don't make this about you. Find out what's happening with them yeah. and meet them where they're at. And that is such good preaching. <laughs> but it's hard as heck. Would anybody agree with me on that? This is just stuff we have to keep pushing in ourselves. It doesn't come, at least for me, it's never been a default mode. My default mode would have been that little kernel you said you had inside you that you go towards that. And so we have to keep perpetually choosing this, but there is no question. See, when I hear a story like that, what I know is there's much story behind this story. So not that it just affect them with your, with your choosing words carefully, but then it affected the people that they continue to affect. And I'm sure it had a profound impact even on your church because it could have been a, a, a flashpoint that did great damage. Absolutely. But these, there's, just no, there's no question in my mind that if we could get clear on the fact that our words have 
epic consequences. If we could remember that before we open our mouths, you know, I mean, we, we could impact literally with our words generations. We could, we could impact people that we'll never meet. You know, you know what's That's a right. great example of this is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Yep. Some of you are familiar with that one. Way too big for us to read together now, but it's such a good story because I think it addresses some of these very things that we're talking about. So I'll, I'll give you some highlights, and then Dan and I will come back, and we'll just hit on uh, some aspects of this story because I think Joseph's story can, can be instructive for us. So it starts, if you go back with Abraham, whom God said, I'm going to make your, your offspring as, as plentiful as the sand on the seashore, so there are going to be nations that will come out of you. And it didn't look like it was going to happen, but then by the time we step into this story with Joseph now, his father Jacob has 12 sons, so it's starting to grow. The tribes are beginning. It's, it's starting to become something. And Joseph, of Jacob's 12 sons, was his favorite son. Very favorite son, highly favorite son. And this is probably because he was the son of, jo- of Jacob's favorite wife. And there's a lot of trouble in this story that I think could have been circum- circumvented. And I think men could actually hear something in this story. And that is like, one wife is enough. You don't need to have multiple wives and a favorite wife. And definitely don't have favorite children because it brings such disaster. So, so... Because he was the favorite child, Joseph was so loved by Jacob, his father. Because of that, his brothers just came to hate him. They, they despised him. Well, uh, one day, his brothers are all out somewhere in the wilderness, out in the fields or whatever, watching their flocks. And Jacob, obviously, is a wealthy man. And so he says to Joseph, his favorite son, go check on your brothers. So as Joseph is going out to check on his brothers, they see him from the distance. Many of you know this story. And you know that they look at each other and they say, you know what we should do? Let's kill him. And they agreed, let's kill him. And then they said, but let's have lunch first. This was a cold group of brothers, <laughs> all nice. right? We're going to kill him, but let's have lunch before. We... Well, apparently lunch was helpful because they, they settled down a little bit and decided, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him to some slave traders who have wandered through. And so they sold him into slavery. Now get this, Joseph is 17 years old at this point, and he goes from the favored son of a rich man, had everything going for him, to a slave in a heartbeat. This is what happens to him. And this is, he, this is so interesting because what happens is after he's sold to the, the slave traders, pretty soon he's sold to an Egyptian official named Potiphar, where the story takes even a stranger twist because this is what the scripture actually has to say about this. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. Now, now this is a bizarre thing because Joseph just went from favored son of a rich guy to a slave. And the descriptor that the Bible uses is, the Lord is with you. (laughs) I mean, I think a better descriptor might have been, at least probably from his perspective, is the Lord has abandoned you. You're screwed. Yeah. (laughs) You had everything going for you, buddy, and now you've lost it all. That probably would have been a better descriptor. But here's where it gets even more twisted in a way, because Joseph not only did the Bible say the Lord was with him, he chose to act in such a way that the Lord was with him. So he chose to live his life as if God was with him through this stuff that's happening, rather than feeling like he was just abandoned and God couldn't possibly be there. So eventually, he's noticed in Potiphar's household for his good attitude, and he moves up the ladder, and he becomes uh, the head of all the household slaves. Now, the irony, of course, is, is that even though he's the head of all the slaves, he's still a what? He's still a slave. 
But he's now, he's, he's kind of moved up and he's doing his best to live as if God is with him, even though this is a terrible place. And then Potiphar's wife, the guy who bought him, she decides she wants to sleep with him. So she says, you're going to sleep with me. Now, what you have to understand is that if you're a slave, the one word that you can never use is no. You can't, you can't say no. That's just not an option. But Joseph actually says no to her. And this is so interesting to me because what he says to her is, and I'll read it as a quote now. He says, how then can I do such a wicked thing, listen, and sin against God? Now, wait a minute. The God who let you be sold into slavery? The God who took you from favored son to slave? Yes. That's right. See, he had this heart that said, I know that God is here, even though I feel abandoned, even though it does not seem good. He knew that the Lord was with him. And here's just another one of these confusing things because, so he does the right thing and says no, and then she's spurned, you know, she's scorned. So what does she do? She accuses him of rape, and he goes from being a slave to a slave who is now in prison. So he is from favored son of a rich man, and now he's a convict slave. What a life. This and is going everything really, is, really well. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, to say he was screwed is an understatement, really. I mean, yeah. this guy, his whole life was a mess. And, and he's, so he's thrown into prison. And here again, if you read the story, some of you will see this. It actually says, again, in prison, the Lord was with him. Again, what? You went out of the frying pan into the fire and the Lord is with you? Well, exactly. That's what scripture says. And he continued to take himself through his life. And this is now years have gone by. He sees himself from this perspective. The Lord is with me. So now he's in prison, still a slave, but now a convict slave. But he starts to move up the ladder in the prison until he becomes second only to the warden and he's there and he meets there in prison and he's in here for years now. He meets there two guys who had been part of Pharaoh's, the, like the ruler of all the land, massive ruler, his butler, also known as his cupbearer, and his baker. They'd both been thrown in prison. This is a funny thing about being Pharaoh or the king. You know, like if you take me off, I just probably wouldn't talk to you anymore. If you take the Pharaoh off, he throws you in prison and kills you, all right? So there's a big difference. And he meets these two guys, and they're in prison, and they have weird dreams. And because he's aware of God with him, he's able to interpret the dreams. And so for the butler, he says, the interpretation of your dream is, is that God's going to bring you back to a place where you're in good standing with Pharaoh again, and you'll be back there in his presence. And then he looks at him and says, and when it happens, don't you forget me. Don't you forget the guy who, who interpreted your dream. And I'm sure the butler's like, yeah, 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 if that happens, I will never forget you. Well, it happened, and guess what he did? He forgot him. Now years go by. But let's, let's get clear on how many years. He was 17 when he was a favorite son sold into slavery. It's a big deal. And now, at this point in the story, he is 30. 13 years. Yeah. Like I would describe him as 13 years from hell. Just like That's unbelievable. Right. But the Bible describes him as 13 years when the Lord is with you. This is, well, not, like, this is not three meals a day, no. stainless steel John, you know, recreation time out in the yard. This is like yeah, the, prison back then prison. Was, was, right. was, 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 was. Right. Yeah. 13 years the Lord was with me. You, you know, I have to say this. A little side note. We've been through a lot the last 20 months. 
has there ever been a moment where the Lord has not been with us? Right. Has there ever been a moment that God has abandoned us? And the answer is no. But we lose sight of that sometimes. We do. And the, it's easy. The thing that's instructed by Joseph is he just didn't. So, so he's still there. He's, he's now 30 years old, 13 years back. He's still doing his best to live as if God is with him, aware of it, like you say. Yep. And then Pharaoh has a weird dream, freaks him out, tries to get somebody to interpret it. Nobody can. And then the butler goes, oh, oh. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was something like that, like, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, there's a guy that can do this, and he's in prison. Pharaoh's, whatever, just bring him. And he comes. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and this is what he says to him. He says, you're about to experience seven years of great abundance and then seven years of famine, and you better put somebody in a place where they can collect the seed and the grain and all the stuff that comes in in those seven years of abundance because the seven years of famine are going to be horrific. And in a freak thing, what Pharaoh does is Pharaoh goes, okay, well, then why don't you do it? And he goes from favored son of a rich man to a slave, to a slave convict, to second in command of all of Egypt under Pharaoh. And it affects the lives of countless people because just what he says comes to pass, and then people are starving, and they have grain, they have food. That's right. Lives were saved. Now, there's something in here that can be seen. In fact, there's a number of things, and let's just, let's just talk through some of those. So why don't you jump into it? Here's, here's the first thing that I think we, we really need to notice in this. He kept speaking words of life. If anybody had a choice, he did. Right? My gosh. I mean... I can't picture myself being in there going, oh, no. the Lord is with me. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But that's right. what he did. That's exactly what he did. He chose to speak Life. I, I, I'm thinking back in the Old Testament. I believe it was Joshua who said, you know, they're, they're about to go into war. And he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He let the past go, Joseph. And he had a choice to make. And he kept speaking words of life, words of hope, words of certainty, even in the middle of the uncertainty yeah. of all of it. Yeah. It's huge. And, and in fact, it's I, massive. I, I like this because we see the impact that it had on the butler and the cupbearer, Pharaoh, and eventually the entire nation. It actually brings me way, way forward hundreds of years. Hear that? The Apostle Paul shows up again, and he's writing to kind of what history and even the scriptures reveal in some way that one of the healthiest churches that he started was the church in Ephesus. We have the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And this is what he writes to them. I love this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and I love this last part, because somebody's always listening, that it may benefit those who listen. It might be the coworker in the cubicle next to you, or working down the line. It might be a relative who you don't even realize is watching. In my case, I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old that hear way more than I think they hear. I hate that. Me too. <laughs> I, 
I don't need a mirror in my house. Oh I've my got gosh. two of them walking yeah. around. Yeah. It's true. But our words have power, and we'll either speak words of life or we won't. Right. And someone's watching and somebody's listening. And someone's being impacted by that. So he, he kept speaking words of life. But I think here's the other thing. He was persistent in his pain. He was persistent in his pain. How many times in all of that could Joseph have given up? All of it. Started to complain. All the things that you and I would have done, he didn't do. Not that we have record of. Anyhow. No. Yeah. No. But he persisted in it. There's this idea that something happens in you and I when we, are, when we persist, when we persevere in our pain. It's like, you know, C.S. Lewis says, suffering is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world because here's the reality. I, I, I know this is true for me, Jeff, and I'm, I'm sure it's true for you. When everything's going well and there's no pain, I don't need God as much as I normally do. And I get lazy. That's just the truth of it. And so God allows enough to stay there for me to persevere through it. And and I think this is why. Again, this guy Paul. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. What? Listen now. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. When Joseph would come out on the other side of this entire ordeal, there was nothing to put him to shame. And how he acted and conducted himself and led himself and allowed God to lead him through that entire 13 years. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That brings hope. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, it, it's profound. And, and it's interesting to me, I mean, you, you, it's like so much in us goes the other way when we so think. So easy. When, when we're, some of you listening to this, and you maybe, maybe you're sitting in Delta right now, you feel like you're in the middle of a 13-year period, or you're saying, mine's been 20, <laughs> or, or whatever. And I mean, I think we need to hear the voice from so long ago of Joseph saying, you stay the course. You, you, you stay the course. He kept speaking words of life. He was persistent in pain. Let's talk about another one, a kind of a simple thing really, but he didn't, he didn't misuse his power when it came into his hands. I'm going to keep this real simple. It's an interesting thing to me because this guy went from zero to hero overnight, yep. really. Of course, he had the same thing from hero, you know, favored son to slave overnight. But he, he goes up in power uh, profoundly. And now the people that he had been saying yes or yes sir to were saying yes or yes sir to him. And I've noticed something interesting. Tell me if you have seen this. That people who have power over others often are less thoughtful when they speak to the people they have power over than they are other people, particularly those who have power over them. They just say stuff, like whether it's parents or whether you're a boss or whether you're somebody else. You'll just, you'll just say things without being thoughtful. You'll say things cruelly, actually. Yeah. 
that you wouldn't say to somebody who has power over you. And it's because really it's kind of like why the king could throw the guy into, you know, the guys into prison. Because you can. Because you can do it. But here's what smart people, here's, here's what people who have a good understanding of the power of the tongue are clear on. And this is not easy. But the truth is that the level of power you have over someone should never influence how you speak to them. It just never should. So true. Now, now look, uh, the, when Joseph's brothers came back because they were starving, because their father actually sent them and said, let's not starve, go and get grain from Egypt. So when his brothers came back, he had every reason to let them have it, to punish them. You know, to, to, and you already kind of talked about this. But what he wisely seemed to understand was that when you carry bitterness around and you're talking about it and you're, you're talking bad about the people who've wounded you, basically you reduce yourself to the level of the offense that was committed against you. When you do that, that, that that's literally what happens. That doesn't mean you don't have feelings. It doesn't mean you're like, oh, you're speaking nice to me now, you jerk when you treated me so bad before. But that never does any good. And the truth is, your words are like tools and in, in, in life around you is building materials. I, I could say it this way. I talked about this last week, but your words are like stones. You can throw them and wound people, and we do that, or you can use them to pave the That's way right. to health. And either way on this, you choose. I mean, you choose what you do. I love a quote I saw. In fact, this was kind of a last minute I, thing I threw in, but Abigail Van Buren said this. She said, the best index to a person's character is A, how they treat people who can't do them any good, and B, how they treat people who can't fight back. The best index of your character is how you treat people that you have power over. And this was the thing that we see with Joseph is that he had power over people. Now suddenly he's in power. He's got it. But he did not abuse them. It's an amazing thing. All right, one more thought real quickly. And that is, is that Joseph, even in the midst of this, and I already spoke about this, he kept talking about God. Even when he's in Potiphar's house and his, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and he says no, he's still talking about God. How could I do such a thing and sin against God? He was aware of God. He talked about God. And see, this is a thing. I think this is something that he understood, that everything is happening in life. Some of you have been going through very difficult times. Let me just say this to you. You don't see it right now, but God is with you. That's right. You don't feel like it right now, but God is with you. Now, here's the key. Just, just think about this. As Joseph spoke about God, it didn't weaken his faith. It strengthened him because when you talk about God, it changes something in you. I say it this way, is that when you talk God, you start to see God. That's right. When you talk about him, when you're talking about his work in your life, you start to see his work. Everywhere you look, you start to see his life. This is, this is an amazing thing. And this is why Joseph was able to say, this is, this is the end of the story, really, and this is profound, but this is why he was able to say to his brothers when they came to him, they're scared to death, they're like, he's going to kill us, it's terrible, and so we're going to come and say, we're your servants, and we're so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And he had every right to do anything he wanted. But I want you to see what he said, because I, this is one of my favorite places in all of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament. This is Joseph's response. It says, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. He says, am I in the place of God? He said, you intended to harm me. In other words, I know what you were doing. You sold me into slavery. You were thinking about killing me. I know all that. He says, but God intended it. I always love to say God superintended it. God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. Do you hear that? See, he understood that there's always a bigger picture. So this is powerful stuff. Think about this. 
You keep speaking words of life, even when it's hard. You're persistent in pain. You don't misuse your power verbally on people. And you keep talking about God. Final thoughts. I I think there's a word that keeps coming up. It's choose. Yeah. It's choose. These things don't happen by accident. And if, at least if I look at my own life, Jeff, they don't come naturally. They're not my natural not bend. For me. Yeah. Right? But it's a choice. It's a choice that we make when we walk into a situation. It's a choice that we make when we walk into conflict. Yeah. It's a choice that we make with our children, with our spouses, with the people that we work with. It's choose, and it starts right here. You are going to have to choose the eyes through which you will see people. But that starts with the eyes through which you see yourself. And until you see yourself across our campuses, listen to me. Until you see yourself as God sees you and begin to live in the reality of that, you will not see anything clearly. Choose. Choose today because the Father who created the heavens and the earth, who sent his son Jesus Christ, calls you his sons and his daughters. And there's nothing you've done nothing that you're going to do that changes that. You are the apple of God's eye. Yeah. And he loves you. Yeah. So if you, like if you say, I have spoken words that I am very regretful of lately, do not forget the grace of God. And you know what? It's never too late to say I'm sorry either. That's right. It's never too late to say I'm sorry. You know, I, I had a little situation this week. My, my, my son... My oldest son brought me to the end of myself. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I, I finally said, what is wrong with you? And I said it out loud. As soon as I said it, I said, oh, yeah, you're preaching on this Sunday. That's how it works. It is. It sucks, actually. Yeah. And I, it does. I told you. It, it does. And I, I, I went up to him, and I, I, before I went to bed, and I said, I, I owe you an apology. I should never have responded to you in that way. And he said, Dad, I'm sorry I didn't make a different choice. I said, let's just walk forward, buddy. It's never too late to say that you're sorry. Yeah. God help us. God help us to use our words to bring life. So real quick before we close. Let's just turn a little corner. I want to talk to all of our campuses now. A lot of you know we've been in transition at TVC here. And, um, and to be perfectly honest with you, it's not been uncommon while I've been in the lobby here in Hastings or I see people in the community and they look at me just a little bit sideways like, how are you doing with this change? Because I've been the lead pastor for 41 years and now Dan is the lead pastor here at TVC. And I think people are wondering, and so I just wanted to say this real quickly, three things. Number one, I'm okay. I'm actually doing great I'm serious, and, and uh, I, I love this. Tra- I was ready for this transition. This needed to happen, and it's, I've just felt like God's been through the whole thing. Number two, we're okay. I'm Absolutely. okay, number one. Number two, Dan and I are okay. We, really, we actually like each other. This is shocking, but we actually we like each other. Now, 
Now, it's been a little bit awkward because um, he's not perfect, and I darn near am. <laughs> and you know that's a joke. Actually, we, do, we enjoy working together. It's, it's been fun to develop a friendship. So I'm good. He and I are good. And TVC is good. We have come through a pandemic and a lead pastor transition from a pastor who was here 41 years and founded the church. And for God to do such good things, it's just amazing to me. So it's like, I just want to say to everybody, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take a break for a little bit, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm part of TVC. I'll be part of the teaching team. And I love this place. So thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we're okay. Yay, God, we're okay. Amen? We're okay. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, before we head out today here in Hastings and across our campuses, I just want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, thank you for your continued generosity in the life of our church. There's, there's giving buckets in the back as you go, but there's something else back there in, in the lobby on each of our campuses that I don't want you to forget about, and that's the poor box. We have a box in each lobby on our campuses, and all of the funds that get put in there are helping people out in our community that have needs. And so I just want to put that back on your radar so that you don't forget about it. In Delton and in Middleville and, and on the Hastings campus, Continue, continue, those of you that have taken that up as, as an initiative in your life to keep giving to that. The other thing I want to tell you is um, that in just a week, it's Memorial Day weekend. And at least here in Michigan, that's sort of the unofficial start to summer. And so uh, your people are putting their boats in the water and they're taking their RVs out of storage and you're getting your camping stuff ready and people are planning trips up north. There is a lot of beauty to be seen here in Michigan. And relatively speaking, maybe to other places in the country, we get a limited summer, don't we? And I know that so many of you across our campuses are preparing to take advantage of that. I love that here at TVC, even with summer coming, even with the weekend trips, we have an opportunity for you to take advantage of gathering together for worship, and for teaching, and for TVC kids, and that's our Thursday night experience. So I just want to encourage you as you're thinking about your summer plans, thinking about all the trips, make Thursday a priority. Remember that whole thing about choosing. If you don't choose in advance, Thursday will come and go. Choose throughout this summer season to make that a priority. And just to give you a little incentive for folks that are coming from work or it's a tight schedule at the end of the day with dinner and all of that, we're going to give you free pizza on Thursday nights. All right? So, um, yeah. So uh, that's uh, beginning uh, in, in June. And I want you to come out and be a part of that and take advantage of, of, of Thursday. Six o'clock, we'll start serving some pizza. 6.30, we'll gather on our Hastings campus for a worship gathering, and I really hope that you will take advantage of that. Across our campuses, I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to give you a blessing as we go today, all right? I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that the Lord would make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. I pray that the Lord would look upon you with his favor and give you his peace that passes all understanding, and that that would guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.